0: Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Football Insider's podcast show, The Inside Track. I'm your host Lewis Pears, and with me today I'm joined by Football Insider editor Wayne Veazey and our special guest, the former England and Tottenham goalkeeper, Paul Robinson. In today's show we have exclusive news on the next Premier League manager set to leave, who is the hot favourite to replace him, how the Nottingham Forest owner sacked Steve Cooper a fortnight ago and then changed his mind, as well as exclusive West Ham and Aston Villa news and a Liverpool bombshell. We have some big news from our experts on what's really happening behind the scenes at Forest. What's in store for Roy Hodgson and whether the growing Crystal Palace Steve Cooper speculation means we're entering done deal territory. We also discuss Aston Villa's new January targets and how an ex-Manchester City star could be joining them and how big an impact FFP will have on their shock title ambitions. Meanwhile, could Liverpool sensationally accept an offer for Luis Diaz and should they? Plus the latest on Jaden Sancho and the deplorable conduct that has shifted the dial for good at Manchester United. We also, of course, discuss the latest title race twist ahead of Liverpool's mouth-watering Premier League showdown against Arsenal this weekend. Are Arsenal now the shock favourites? Will Liverpool's title tilt fall flat when Mohamed Salah heads off in January for a month to Afcon? Before we jump in, I'd really appreciate it if you hit the follow button on your preferred podcast platform, and if you like what you hear, make sure to give this pod a top review and rating. This enables us to produce the very best possible show. Let's get straight into the episode. All right, Wayne, so to start with, we've got to talk about Nottingham Forest. Steve Cooper, of course, relieved of his duties as Forest boss just a few days ago, Wayne. Does this come as, as a surprise? And really, is there any other news you can tell us about, please, at the club?
1: No, it's not. it doesn't come as a surprise. I mean, we spoke two weeks ago on the podcast about he would be going and he told his friends he was going and he fully expected it. He wasn't in, on speaking terms with Maranacos, the, the owner, or their very strained relations for some time. He very much expected the sack. Um, one thing I was actually told last week was that um, Marinaccio sacked him last uh, two weeks ago, and the Nottingham Forest coach staff begged him to change his mind. He did change his mind and gave Keeper back his job temporarily. So this is kind of the volatility um, at Forest that was going on behind the scenes. Um, things things are very very difficult. So Cooper wasn't surprised. He knew it was coming and he's been or his sort of camp have been looking at other other potential job opportunities including in the Premier League which we're going to come to in a bit um, in terms of Nuno getting the job two and a half years Wolves, Wolves fans love him Tottenham fans don't rate him at all a lot of neutrals sit in the middle but proven Premier League manager and that's, that's what Nottingham Forest have gone for and they've obviously looked at other managers as well before going for him and interestingly Lopetegui, another former Wolves boss, was the number one choice from what I'm told, Um, but he had concerns about working under Maranakis and also not having full control over transfers, so that's why that one didn't happen as well.
0: I mean, Paul, if we just look at it objectively for a minute at Steve Cooper's time, looking at their summer signings, you know, they, they did bring in some decent players in the summer the likes of Ibrahim Sangare from PSV, Anthony Alanga from Manchester United, you know, hudson, Callum hudson Adoy from Chelsea. So there were some decent names in there. But how do you think Cooper could have actually done any better? Do you think it's quite harsh, really, on him? And, and has Marinakis taken quite a reactionary step in sacking him?
2: There's, there's, it's the old thing that I say, with success comes expectation. So as a Nottingham Forest fan, as a Nottingham Forest follower, what do you expect in your second year in the Premier League? For me, for them, success is staying in the Premier League again. The second year is the hardest year to stay in. They build on what they achieved in the first year and they go again. From a, a neutral's point of view, from the outside looking in at Steve Cooper, he's been given a team. I'm not sure how many of those players he wanted, how many of those players that he signed himself. You look at the finances there, you look at the amount of money that's been spent. I mean, we all remember the transfer deadline. There was players coming into the city ground at... 10, 11 o'clock at night, not necessarily ones that he scouted, recruited and thought that he wanted in his team. You strip it back to the bare bones when he picked it up, the club in the championship, you look what he did on the budget that he's done and he will be forever held in such high esteem. There's nobody, no manager at Nottingham Forest that's ever, ever come close to Brian Clough and none will. Steve has been become the closest to that. The relationship mm. he's got with the fans, I was there last week for their game against Everton when he was reportedly under pressure getting the sack. He walks out the tunnel first and the response that the, and the relationship that he's got with the supporters is fantastic. But sentiment can only last for so long. I think it's one win in 13 that they've had recently. And in, in all honesty, if the bottom three weren't so poor, they'd be in the bottom three. They're below Everton who have had 10 points deducted. They were sleepwalking towards relegation. So the results that they've had and where they were going, it was only a matter of time before the manager was relieved of his duties. I mean, like I say, sentiment, the relationship, how you think of him, He's well thought of in football. He will get another job, yeah. almost imminently. And we, we know it's, it's you know it's, it's not the elephant in the room, it's Crystal Palace. The, the, the owner's obviously spoken openly about it. So that's something that he will look at in the future. Um, but for Nottingham Forest, the owner looks at the money he's spent, he looks at the players that he's brought in, and he thinks, I'm fourth from bottom. We've won one in 13. I need to change. I can understand the change. I don't understand Nuno Espirito de Santo coming in, though. I mean, I watched him firsthand at Tottenham. Very pragmatic, plays five at the back. Not, mm. not a really good brand of football. Listen, he'll keep them in the Premier League, even if he keeps them in the Premier League just because there's three worst teams. But <laughs> where the owner wants to progress them and take them to, I question it.
1: Well, although I mean, what what, what not Wolves fans would say is, you know, he got them promoted, right same as what Cooper's done, got them to consecutive seventh Premier League finishes, which is Wolves' best ever. You know, he's seen or regarded as Wolves' best manager in 30 40 years without a shadow of a doubt so he does have that proven track record and that's why Maranakas has gone for him and maranacas believes they should be a top 10 team paul he says you know privately he says you know i've spent 300 million i've given him all these top level players your jobs your job's coach is to get on and coach them and turn it into a top 10 premier league team and that's he i think he made that clear to steve cooper behind the scenes and one one kind of other interesting story I've been told is that um, Maracas wasn't very happy that Cooper went around telling people, and I don't mean the media, I just mean generally people at Nottingham Forest that he had nothing to do with signings, that they were all done by the by the owner and his son and um, in association with agents, and Cooper had very little say in it. And the owner didn't like that at all. He didn't like that that sort of indiscreetness and what he saw as a lack of loyalty. So the there were, where, you know, it was a very strange relationship between the two by the end.
0: Do you think as well that Nuno is going to take into account the size of their squad? One thing that was picked up on at his time at Wolves was their tight-knit squad. They had such a small pool of players. I think it was only about 22 players they had regularly playing in the Premier League in comparison to the Nottingham Forest squad now, which just seems to have more players. Every time you look at their team lineup on the telly, they seem to have different players that you don't know. Do you think actually Nuno will take that into account? Will that be something of a concern given the size of the squad and some of the headaches that are due to come?
2: he'll have decisions to make I mean that's the manager's job but for me the most important thing in Nottingham Forest when I look at that squad and I look at the players they've got yes they've spent a lot yes they've got a lot of quality but the most important part of a football pitch are both boxes your defensive box and your attacking box without a one-year they've won one in 12 or one in 13 whatever it is he's a huge miss they haven't got a replacement for him they lack goals they concede far too many goals. They've got two good goalkeepers. They've not got a Premier League quality goalkeeper in both boxes. They don't score enough goals, and they concede far too many. The two positions that they're really lacking is in both boxes, in my opinion.
0: Wow, that's a really big call because obviously Awani, has been the
2: he's been the man for them this season.
0: And I mean, while he's been out, they really haven't oh, had that. without him.
2: I'm saying he's, I'm not saying he's, he's not the man. 100. No, percent yes, yeah. But they don't have an answer when he's not there. So it's like an Ollie
0: Watkins equivalent, isn't it? It's that sort of player where when he's missing, they don't have that fire. I mean, Chris was a good player, yes. yeah. And
1: they changed their tactics as a result. They play much, much deeper with a, you know, defending their own box rather than sort of pushing higher up the pitch, and it, it, it's made it's made a massive difference. And Nottingham nothing Forest haven't played well. Their results haven't been good, and you can see that rapport that Cooper had with the fans. But in t- if you strip away all that, you can kind of understand. Why the owners made the decision he's made at Forest? Why he's brought in a new manager, and also why he's gone for Nuno? I think you know if you'd have given Nottingham Forest Nuno two years ago, the fans would have absolutely loved it. Um, and I think Wolves wouldn't be absolutely devastated. Wolves fans wouldn't be devastated to have him back either. Not you know, he he failed at Tottenham. Know that about that. I think Tottenham was was the wrong job for him, and you know his playing style didn't work at all. But I think for, for Nottingham Forest, that's a pretty strong uh, pretty strong appointment.
2: Football fans are very knowledgeable. Sorry, sorry, Liz. Football fans are very, very knowledgeable. The access that they've got to podcasts like ours and other news. Football fans now, they they don't need to put the television on and be told that so-and-so is offside. The Nottingham Forest fans are very, very knowledgeable. The relationship that they've got and they've had with Steve Cooper, Nuno Espirito de Santo is not getting a honeymoon period. Because of that relationship, they will be clever enough. They'll understand that they they will know results, points, total, etc. hasn't been good enough. They're sat at the bottom of the league because they're not winning football matches. They will go, okay, fine, understand why he was sacked, but he ain't getting five, six, seven games. If he doesn't hit the ground running, he's going to be bang under pressure immediately.
0: That's got to be a concern, though, surely. Looking at that deal, when you said at the beginning, he signed a a two-and-a-half-year deal. What will Maranakis be expecting behind the scenes? What will they have discussed? Because the way that I see it objectively will be Maranakis has turned around and said, he's got six months to keep us up. And then from then, we kick on. Do you think that will roughly be what they're going for? Or are you expecting from this point on, Nuno is not only to hit the ground running and keep them up, but to push them up higher in the table?
1: In terms of this season staying up to the absolute bare minimum, Top ten is what the owner wants. He wanted that for this season under Cooper, and that would still still be an objective of his. He wants to be playing in the Europa Conference League. He wants to be like Brighton. He wants to be like Aston Villa, and that's that. That's his ambition, and and he he thinks given the money he spent that it's completely achievable. So I don't I I, I agree with Paul. I don't think there is a honeymoon period. I don't think it will be. Uh, I think he will, They will invest also in January again. I think there will be more signings coming in and there'll be great pressure on Nino to deliver he'll be paid an amazing salary of course and expected to deliver so you know we're, we're not we're not being an easy job this isn't a job where you, finishing 17th is sufficient at all.
2: Wayne I'm, I'm not privy to the information I know you're you're close to the the pulse of a lot of clubs what's their FFP situation at Forest are they close to the line or are they okay?
1: I think they're getting closer to the line, Paul. I are think they- there might have to be some sales and also some some loan buys as well to to strengthen the club. Yeah, they are they are getting much closer and have gone close to the limit, um, as have quite a few Premier League clubs as well. That ones we're going to speak about as well today. Um, yeah, so that 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 is definitely an issue, and they're on quite high wages as well. A lot of those players and some of them apparently are more than £100,000 a week, which Nottingham Forest, when they're a championship club, and they were like £30,000, £25,000 a week was a lot. So, you know, they've completely transformed their finances, albeit with a lot more revenue coming in in the Premier League.
0: Of course, Nuno's coming back. Morgan Gibbs-White reunion with him. And actually in 2019, Gibbs-White said about Nuno that he's a very good manager. Paul, when you know a previous manager might be coming back into the club or a manager you've had relations with, whether they are good or bad, how much does that cross your mind? Is there a psychological element of that going, oh, I've played under this manager and X has happened? Does that actually happen?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like in any warp of life, in any job. If you have a boss from an old business that you got on with and he comes to, to where you're working now, happy days. You know, you're onto a good thing. But likewise, on the flip side of that, if you didn't get on with him and he didn't like you and you didn't progress the way you wanted to be in whatever job you're doing, it's it's the same. I mean, if you is like anything. If your face doesn't fit, personality-wise, there's a clash. Or if a manager didn't think you were good enough at one club, he's not going to think you're good enough at another club. Man management-wise, he's got to be open with all his players between now and January because he can't change anything and he needs all of his players. In a similar way to Eddie Howe at Newcastle, Eddie Howe talked about his goalkeepers and he said, no, it's okay, I'm fine with what I've got. The two goalkeepers here are more than good enough to cope with everything that I need. I've got two top-class goalkeepers and I'll be using them. He's got to say that because January was four weeks ago You know, at the time. Four weeks away, sorry. So hmm. it's, it's how you manage the players. But no, previous relationships with the managers obviously will come into play.
0: Um, Wayne, were there any other managers in the job, in the running for, for the Forest job? Because it sounds like actually, you know, sort of, you know, has run quite close to his money in terms of yeah, the other I mean, potential candidates. Uh, yeah,
1: in addition to Lopetegui, who, who, who I just mentioned, Oliver Glasner, Eintracht track foot boss, he was spoken to, um, he was interviewed and came very close. And also Marco Silva, before he signed the contract at, at Fulham, he signed a new contract, I believe, in October, he had been looked at prior to that as well as a as a top level candidate and someone that they Maranakis rates really highly so they have looked at this has been a long process this hasn't just happened overnight this hasn't happened as a result of the 5-0 defeat against Fulham or the defeat to Tottenham on Friday night this has been Happening, going on behind the scenes, talks behind the scenes, interviews with potential candidates for many, many weeks. So it's not out of the blue. They think they've done their groundwork. They think they've appointed a top man, but and that and I've looked at a lot of managers as well. And you can sort of tell by the names I've just mentioned that these are proven operators as well. Um, and that's why we want someone who knows what they're doing and can make an impact straight away.
0: When it sounds as if Steve Cooper, he's not going to have any time for the beach or rest. Sounds like actually that he might not be out of work for very long. Another Premier League team sounds like they're interested in appointing him potentially.
1: Yes, I mean, Crystal Palace are very keen. He was, um, he's was, he been on Palace's radar for some time. Um, interestingly, I was told that he was offered the job in the summer by Crystal Palace before Roy Hodgson signed a new one-year contract and Palace still very much want him. Roy Hodgson's job is up in the air. I mentioned, first mentioned in this podcast Two weeks ago that's still the same situation despite that amazing comeback against manchester city last saturday despite that impressive performance against liverpool with a very weakened team and apparently and hodgson denies publicly that he's lost his enthusiasm or losing his enthusiasm but that is what i've been told that his enthusiasm for the for the job has diminished a little bit and it won't be Palis sacking Hobson, this will would be very much an amicable departure with and probably most likely bring the reins down on or close the curse, bring the curse down rather on his top-level management career. Um just because he's of how football's changing, the VAR, the rules changes, apparently. Um Hodson's had enough of it, doesn't, doesn't like it, and is quite keen to pack it in. So the, the information I have, and I think a few others written as well, is Cooper's absolute top target, and Palace have been have been waiting for him to be sacked by Nottingham Forest. So there won't be a compensation. Some needed to be paid to Forest, and then and then they can make a move. Obviously, there's sort of great terms, all those kind of things, but that is very much possible and could happen in the next few weeks with Cooper being appointed the new Crystal Palace
2: manager. Well, you see you see Roy last week after the Liverpool game, don't you? Know, you see his press conference after the game, his post-match interviews. I mean, he was, he was literally... Yeah. Again, he said was, he like, was
1: raging. I don't think yeah, it's... Yeah. You not see Hodgson like that very often,
2: do you? No, and I mean, there's n- not been ageist or anything, but the father time catches up with everybody and everybody has got a lifetime, a lifespan and a certain job. And that man, what he's done and what he's achieved uh, and the respect he's got in football is, is incredible. And whenever he does bow out, it will be on his terms.
0: Yeah. Mm. And I think the truth is actually, you know, getting a 2-2 draw away in Manchester City to for, for potentially the, the swan song season is unbelievable. And that shot of him after they scored the penalty, turning around to Pep Guardiola and, yeah, and laughing. I mean, yeah. you couldn't write it. I think that, that sums up Roy Hodgson to a T, what an absolute legend.
2: And it just, very- He just stopped short of patting Pep on the head, <laughs> didn't he? <laughs> There you go. Yeah.
0: And I think after obviously after the Liverpool result and how absolutely gutted he was, like you said, Paul, I think actually it was, it was good for them. They actually got not one back necessarily, but there was something to cheer about in that front from a VAR perspective. If we look at Cooper though, going to Palace, do you think that could be a, a good move potentially? I think he if he walks in that job, I think they could absolutely fly this season, provided they don't have any injuries.
1: Yeah, I mean they've been absolutely um, slaughtered, haven't they, by, by injuries. they a very weakened team at Man City, same against Liverpool, and just about getting by on um, the bare bones as how Renner would call it. I think they've actually got a, st- a strong squad Crystal Palace and just as strong as Nottingham Forest, obviously assembled in a very different way um, and play play and have played some much better football, I would say, in Hodgson's second reign compared to his first reign. So I think there's, there's plenty for Steve Cooper to work with. He wouldn't be, you know, having to lift them up from the drop zone either. So I think it's a very, very attractive job, for Crystal Palace, and to go from, you know, one Premier League job to another very quickly would be would be um you know absolutely brilliant for him without without a doubt so I, I can totally understand why pass would look at him I think he's done enough in management and he's still very good age I think he's 44 so he's got the he's got the potential to improve as a manager and and be there a long time so it it makes complete sense as well from that point of view
0: and Paul, will the will the dressing room now start talking about that? Of course, the rumours are absolutely flying. It looks like Steve Cooper is virtually nailed on to take the job. Will the players know about this? And, and will there be any potential talk about how they feel about Roy as well? Or actually, do you think it will be kind of kept under wraps until it's all potentially announced?
2: Well, listen, but quite often from, from the outside and being on the outside, we, you, you look at the news and you think, oh, this is happening at football club. Players must know. As players, you don't get to know. You know, what's, what's happening in the boardroom, what's happening at, at, at boardroom level, at director level. Managerial appointments, etc. Players are never consulted, or very rarely, and if so, it's an individual can, player. Can I ask,
1: though, Paul? Would you hear stuff <laughs> from like from agents or from friends? You know, for example, if you shared the same agent or management representative as a potential another player or yeah. as
2: another manager, would you hear through through those channels? Well, you, you shouldn't because of confidentiality reasons, but you know how life works. Now, even yeah. more so with social media and, and WhatsApp, for example, and players are close to their agents. And of course, yeah. you do get to hear whispers and you get to hear things. And if your agent or an agent that you know turns up a, a training ground and you know he represents a certain manager, doesn't take a, you a know, genius yeah. to put two and two together. Yeah. Um, but as players, you, you, you're not told, you're not brought into a meeting and you're not said, look, this manager's coming in, this is going to happen on this date. You're, you're basically mushroomed. You just kept in the dark and that's it as players. So people say, oh, well, you must have known he was coming in. Why didn't you tell me he was coming in? Well, I found out in Sky Sports News the same as you did that he was coming mm. in. And that's the, that's the type of the situation the players are. In a football club and in situations like that, the players are, are given, they're not privy to information. They'll know that a manager's going because the manager will obviously have a relationship with the players and he will say, in, in a meeting or a time or whatever that is you know this I know that this is that this is happening um XYZ is happening it's been great shake his hand and he leaves but by the time that he's done that with you all it's it's out in the public anyway yeah so player, players are generally not privy to, to information like that. Rare occasions senior players will get consulted by owners by directors by insiders at the club they will have conversations as to what's going on in the dressing room has he lost the dressing room? Uh, Are players still on side? There'll be certain board members or members of staff at the club that will report back to the hierarchy. Those questions get asked internally. But as a group of players, very rarely. Were you ever
1: consulted, Paul?
2: No, no. No, obviously my opinion didn't count very highly. <laughs> at certain times, I got a few sacked over the years, though. Wayne, so
0: how <laughs> <laughs> made up for it. <laughs> yeah. There we go. That's all right then. <laughs> that's quite funny. Um, that's the other. That's the other question, Paul, as well. On on, on that front, not only about managers coming in, and, and in terms of whispers, do you think the squad? I think it's obviously quite evident that that Roy is going to call his time on football at some point. Whether it's this season, it remains to be seen. But will there be some talk as well from that perspective, potentially weighing up how long a manager is set to last in a job rather than looking at the outside with someone coming in. What about internally? How does that work?
2: Players are very selfish. Footballers are selfish. And you think about you, yourself first nine times out of 10. Um, I was in the situation at Tottenham when one day Ramos came in and he had a preconceived idea about me uh, in the same way that uh, Pep had with Joe Hart. I wasn't for him. And immediately I knew that he wasn't for me. So he came in. We won the Carabao Cup that year, the last time that mm. Spurs won a trophy. That mm. was in February. In February, I knew that I was leaving in June. But, did, um, did he
1: tell you, or was it just what you picked up?
2: No, no, he, he told me by not speaking to me. By right. Even door, though you're in,
1: the, even though you're in the team.
2: It, well, I was in the team when it suited him. I was taken in and out of the team, yeah. and he treated me in a certain way that you don't treat somebody that you want around.
0: Right. You know, if
2: you like somebody and you want them to be part of your life, you don't treat them in, in right. a certain way, and, and he right. treated me in a certain way but back to the original point with hindsight at 44 years old now sat here looking back I wish I would have had the insight to go I'm going to be here longer than you I'm just going to sit on my hands I'll sit on the bench yeah no problem because then Harry Redknapp was a manager that I would have loved to have played for yeah So I jumped shit because I wanted as a player I wanted out I wanted to go and play football and what happens in addressing in players do talk but they look after themselves and in that situation I left Tottenham for a Blackburn team that finished above Tottenham in the league that year which was for me at the time was a good move. I, I needed out. I wanted to play, um, but but players do look after themselves a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, that is genuinely fascinating. I, I don't think I've ever thought about that in that perspective about how you can be alienated. I think it's obvious now. You know, now you hear the likes say about Jaden Sancho, he's been he's training on his own or whatever. But that's really interesting, Paul, to get that first hand insight. But maybe about- maybe he's got that
2: that foresight of okay, you treat me like that. Whatever's gone on, I'm not. I don't want to go into the politics of what's gone on. Who should say sorry, or what's? How do you write mm-hmm. the wrong situation? He's maybe sat there thinking, "I'm going to last longer than you at this football club." He's waiting wow. for the next manager.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes. and and you know he's still at a very young age with a very long contract, so he doesn't absolutely have to go in January, does he? You
2: know, he's he on a I mean, thousand pound a week
1: contract. He's
2: still a young lad earning a fortune yeah. playing mm-hmm. at one of if not the biggest football clubs in the world. And he's sat there thinking, well, if results keep going, we won't have this problem in the end next week because he'll be gone.
1: Oh, well, from a neutral perspective, it still absolutely stinks. And I think any top-level player who, who does that, I think it's so, it's, it's so, so wrong. His behaviour's been deplorable from Jaden Sancho. Um, you know, I I've, mean, I've been critical of Eric Ten Hag's management man management methods over the last few weeks in this podcast, but um, I, I go with him on this one. I think S- Sancho's been an absolute disgrace. Yeah. Um, Anyway, well, we digress.
2: There's only so many times that a manager can be undermined. As a manager, as a leader of a dressing room, you can't be seen to be undermined, and that's that's the situation, and that's where we're at with it. I think. Mm. I guess it remains to be seen what what comes of that. It
0: reminds me a lot of the incident involving Kepper in the in the Carabao Cup final, where he was saying, "No, I'm not coming off the field," and there was that whole argument with Sari, you know. And that was one of, I think, the strangest incidences in football that has ever happened. I, a
1: strong manager. They would have just got him off. They would not have accepted it. And he was he was not a strong manager. Sorry, I, his um, Kepper's behaviour that day was awful and deplorable. It Absolutely was completely deplorable. deplorable. But a strong manager would have just got him off. Whatever. They would you know, what they, was they lie to him he was, and he was injured, so it was beyond selfish.
0: And they lost, so it, you and know lost, it's like they? after after all of that, after all the hoo-ha of that happening, they, they still didn't even win. It's just yeah. that really was really was so strange. But anyway, we'll move on from South London over to East London. Uh, Wayne, it sounds like talking of manager merry-go-rounds mm. and all, all the ins mm. and outs. Sounds like there might be news coming out of West Ham regarding David Moyes.
1: Yeah, I mean, more, not new news, so to speak, because Moyes hasn't um, agreed. A new contract or no progress has been made in the contract. And just to recap, he is out of contract at the end of the season. And West Ham have made no attempt to extend that or even to open talks about extending that. Moises' public stance is that he's quite comfortable with that and that he's enjoying the job and the team is performing more than creditably. and and he's happy to to see how things see see how events um take care of themselves. However, West Ham are sort of laying the groundwork for the potential replacement next summer and doing sort of early sort of soundings and early investigations in terms of potential candidates. And one potential candidate is a name we've already mentioned on this podcast today: is Lopetegui, who made such a huge impression at Wolves next season. He is a contender for West Ham for next season, and interestingly, he's also represented by. The super agent Georgie Mendes, who is better than any agent in the world at getting his managers into jobs, Mendes is also Nino's agent, so he's 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 certainly got an amazing track record and brilliantly connected at so many clubs. So Lopetegui is on the radar. It's very early days for West Ham, but I'd be very very surprised if if Moyes is the manager of West Ham beyond next season or beyond sorry beyond this season.
0: Paul, do you expect him to be a good... Would he be a good fit for West Ham? Do you think they'd they'd succeed under him?
2: I'd say the old, be careful what you wish for. You know, you look at David Moyes, the West Ham fans, a bunch of supporters. I mean, a a few of my very close friends uh, are staunch West Ham supporters. And they're a real split bunch. There's a real pro-David Moyes and a real anti-David Moyes. There's a bunch of them that are realists that are are like me, Of my opinion. When David Moyes took over again for the second time, saved the club from relegation. He's not only made them a stable Premier League club, he's made them a top half Premier League club. He's made them a club that compete in Europe now for successive seasons. He's put a European trophy in the cabinet. You wind the clock back three years to where they were, fighting relegation, desperately trying to stay in the Premier League. You look at them now, seventh or eighth, whatever, they are, ninth, whatever they are in the Premier League, European trophy in the cabinet, looking to compete again in European football. Yet again, this season, handling the rigours of European football and Premier League football, and still turning out the results. They're unbeaten in so many games at home. They were fantastic. The one blip on the copybook recently, the 5-0 defeat at Fulham. And that's exactly what it was. But then there's the other side of the West Ham supporters who have had enough of him. They're, they're fed up with the way that he plays, fed up with the style of football. But again, budget, expectation. As a West Ham fan, what do you want and where do you want to be? You look at the teams in the top six of that Premier League, are they capable of challenging them on the budget that they've got? They're not. You look at what they've done, the recruitment after what after Declan Rice has been excellent. Yet again, I think there's been progression this year. Again, they're competing deep into a European trophy, and it's it's expectation again. Where do you expect your football club to be? And again, back to the original point, be careful what you wish for. I think, think... it's
1: also very strained though between Moyes and the, the border at times. It was strained last summer when they brought in the sporting director, Tim Seiden, and that meant from Germany, and that meant that Moyes had less control over transfers, because Moyes is a manager who wants lots of control over transfers. We had Keith Wyness, the former Everton Chief Executive on here a couple of weeks ago, and he, he spoke extremely warmly about David Moyes and also about how thorough he was with the transfers and how he wanted to be really super hands-on, and that's how Moyes still wants to be at West Ham, whereas David Sullivan, the co-owner, wants to be in charge himself and with his own people sort of doing the doing the sort of work for him. So you can see relations have been strained for some time. And last summer it wasn't guaranteed he was even going to stay last summer, even up until probably late July that Moise was going to even stay for this season. So there are there are issues. They haven't really been dealt with and with that contract expiring at the end of the season, taken on board all Paul's points which are completely spot on, um I, I would expect I'd expect him to go. And that's even if West Ham finish eighth and ninth, which would be incredible. And even if they extend this European excellent form, punch massively above their weight. What West Ham fans say is we've got some really exciting players, Kudos, Bowen, Paqueta, some brilliant Ben brilliant talents, and Moyes doesn't make the best of them. We're too cautious, we're too negative. And they do have a point, but also. He's getting the best out some of those players as well. Would Bowen be a sixty million valued player under a different manager? Would Pequeno be a seventy million valued player under a different manager? You know, it's you know, it will take probably until next season to find that out.
0: Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think one point that you can summarise that entirely with is you look at the weekend, great win against, talking of Wolves, great 3-0 three, win mm. against Wolves. But, you know, the Kudus goal where he sits on with the iconic mm. celebration that he's now doing. And mm. the fans absolutely love him. And, and I, think, I think he has done really well. I think that front three on their day going forwards in the Premier League are a top, top front three. And I think they are underrated. They've obviously got issues in their squad. I think there are some holes and some some positions that might need to be replaced or or they might need some extra bodies in there. But generally, I think David Moyes has done a, a good job. The fact that West Ham fans can still walk around saying they're champions of, of Europe is is something quite special, really. And when you talk to Hammers fans, you know, they are Absolutely elated at that. That is something that will go down in their history. You know, one of my good mates, who's a West Ham fan, West Ham fan, years ago said, "All I want is for West Ham to win a trophy. I don't want anything else." We could get relegated. All I want is a trophy win. And lo and behold, they went and did it in Europe, not even in England. So it's very, very impressive. You've got a and- real eclectic mix of friends, haven't you? Uh, yeah, has Got <laughs> friends. <laughs> ne- ne- nice last week. Nice, ne- ne-
1: ne- Lausanne. Yeah. All
0: these friends. Well, nearly the world. we nearly We nearly did Wolves today as well, but that, that, that I'll save. save one, that one. one. Okay. We'll um, look to that. But do we one one? I think it's quite interesting Frank McAvenny made a good point to me and said you know I know Wayne you've tied in there Lopetegui potentially getting the the West Ham role looks like that could be a quite a good fit but it's quite interesting there's been such a tight lid on what's going on at the club you know David Moyes has has been very quiet publicly about what's happening none of the players have really said is that does that come as as a surprise I think David obviously is quite an internal person he's not someone Mm. to go and blurt out in the media what's going on but does that come as a shock?
1: no no not really I think in terms of what information gets out a lot of it's um very closely controlled by the club um i mean west ham do brief journalists and they do give information but you know when it suits them and they've got they've got their own agenda and Moyes he you're right he keeps himself to himself doesn't really speak much to journalists certainly off the record mainly it's all done on the record he's got a few i think um scottish journalists who he speaks to off the record but that's that's about it. I think Moyes is just playing the playing the PR game. I wouldn't read too much into what he says about he's quite comfortable and all this kind of stuff because, you know, that's just what he says publicly. What he says privately is, is often very different. There has been issues from what I'm told behind the scenes. And I don't think David Sullivan is a particularly easy chairman to work for either. Um, he's seen off plenty of managers over the years, hasn't he, at West Ham and, and Birmingham. And, you know, I, I would – I don't you – know, I don't think this will be a long-term arrangement with Moyes. He is also in his sixties or sixties now, so it could could end up being his last Premier League job. Not you know not just not just Roy Hodgson either. So I think you know I think Moyes family's based in Lancashire and he he does intend to to go back to Lancashire eventually. That's that's what I've been
0: told. Well, there we go. We'll, we'll move up to the West Midlands actually and talk about Aston Villa, one club, Wayne, of course. Who who are looking set to or set to move quite quite specifically in in the January transfer window for for a certain title, tar- couple of targets, I should say, um, which feels remarkable to say that they are pushing for the title. And that's something we can talk about in just a second as well. Have you got any updates, Wayne, about potential signings for them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I spoke last week about, about Aston Villa and you know very much focused on bringing in forwards in January, bringing in cover and competition for Ollie Watkins. That's an absolute priority, not just in January but also next summer. They do have. Um, FFP issues. They they have to stay within those limits, so there won't be huge amounts to spend, and that that is that will mean that their targets will, will be different in January to what they are in the summer. I'm told they're looking at RB Leipzig striker Timo Werner, who was at Chelsea, potentially a loan deal for January. They're also looking at Ian Nacho from of Leicester City. He's out of contract at the end of the season. So he wouldn't be too expensive, most likely. They, they could be able to get him maybe for five to ten million in January. So they're two top targets for Villa. They want a striker who can be like Watkins in terms of be able to go out wide, able to drop deep, able to find a bit of space, able to set up goals as well as score them. And they see Werner and Inacho as fitting that profile, both those two. Forwards are good ages as well. I think Vernon's 27, Iheanacho's 28, so they'd have the energy to play in Emery's system. And Inacho, for example, would be quite happy not starting every game as well. That's his role at Leicester. He starts pretty much every other game at Leicester and has done for some time. So they would then have different targets, Lewis, for the summer where they'd have a lot more money to spend. So that's the kind of their two different sort of transfer plans for different windows from what I'm told, obviously a lot can change now to, to now and the end of January, but that's 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 the kind of situation with Villa's sort of striker hunt.
0: And if, if we focus on Timo Werner first, Paul, I mean, when you talk to, you know, his time didn't work out at Chelsea, you know, he showed moments of promise. And when you spoke to Chelsea fans, they always seemed quite positive. I think fans across the league were quite critical of him. They often, they often slated him quite badly. But when you spoke to Chelsea fans, they always seemed to think that there was a spark in Werner somewhere that, that was going to ignite at some point. What do you think about that? Do you think he, he, he could
2: flourish under Emery? Well, that's the reason that he, he came to the Premier League in the first place. You know, Chelsea saw something in him and there was a player there. But at Chelsea, for whatever reason for him, it didn't work. Um, players in his position are judged on goals and assists. And whether it was the way that Chelsea were playing at the time or whether it was the way that he was playing at the time, it, it didn't work for him. Um, but we've seen in, in the same as, as Unai Emery. You know, you look at his time at Arsenal. He left, went away. and Look at the success that he's had. You look at Unai Emery's CV away from this country, it's phenomenal. And there was an, an original reason that Timo Werner was brought to, to this country. But then you look at that and you question his form in the national side. You look at the lack of goals that his national side have had for a long time. He's not scored the amount of goals that would suggest. But it's a hard sell in the same way as as Harry Kane at Tottenham at the time. I want you to come to my club, but you can only play when he doesn't. And it's it's a hard sell, hence the reason that that's the type of market that they're looking in. With the FFP and everything else, but they are... For want of a better phrase, they're not looking at second-rate strikers, but they're looking—they're not—they're not not shopping at Harrods; they're going one down because of the fact that if Ollie Watkins is fit, he plays, and it's a hard sell for somebody else to come in. And
1: what Villa, what Villa want, though, they want, and what Emery wants, is to win that European trophy this season. By the way, he is so ambitious; he's got an incredible record. I think he's won three Europa Leagues, is he? Um, If not more, he is. He genuinely thinks Villa win the Europa League this season and getting that right striker or right forward could, could make all the difference because Ollie Watkins can't play every minute of every single game. That's impossible. And Villa do have a lot of fixtures, especially if they have an FA Cup run as well. So they do need reinforcements. It would be one or the other in terms of you know actual Verna or whoever whoever else it might be it would, would be one coming in rather than two coming in. And it's someone who'd be comfortable with Willing not to start every game as well.
0: I think Acho fits that bill too. If you look at his time at Leicester, uh, you know, currently at Leicester. I mean, the thing is, I was really surprised that he didn't get a move following their relegation. I always think he's looked like a top striker, but again, so was he. he, he I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he was. But but I think the I think the truth is that, of course, he clearly is happy to be the second option. Yeah, you know, he, yes. Yeah, he, 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 he wasn't pushing mm.
2: to be. Yeah, it's to be, to be the be In a similar player. way to Origi. They're, they're, they're that yeah. type of word. they're an impact yeah. player. To their detriment, they are a very good impact player coming off the bench. And they've proved over a number of years that they can change a game and score goals. And, you know, when they've started games, they haven't had the same impact. Yeah. And, like I say, that's been to their detriment as players.
0: And, Paul, from a from a psychological perspective, will Ollie Watkins know the pressure on his back about getting injured? Do you think he will consider that at all? Knowing that if he is out, you're sort of looking around, going, "Who on earth is going to replace me here?" Will that ever cross his mind at all?
2: No, as players, you don't think about getting injured. That's that's the last thing that enters your head. You'd never think about um, ever, you know, going into a game worrying about getting injured. You you live right, you train right, you look after yourself, and that's why you see players that are so upset and so devastated when they do get injured because it's not something any player ever thinks about nor wants to happen. Um, Aston Villa are on this the, the great bandwagon at the moment. It's just a good, good club, a really good feeling around the place. They mm. certainly won't be worried about missing games or anything. Everybody will want to play every week.
0: I do wonder going forwards, then, if they manage to bring in a forward, what that might look like for the end of the season, because this brings us nicely to the Premier League title race. My goodness me, to Aston Villa in that conversation is remarkable. Well, the big one on the weekend that we're all looking at, of course, on Saturday evening, Liverpool host Arsenal at Anfield for the evening kickoff at half five. Paul, we'll come to you on your thoughts first. Do you think Arteta is going to prove that his side are, as Klopp once called them, mentality monsters? Do you think they're going to overcome that Anfield stumbling block?
2: Um, Given the way that Liverpool played against Manchester United at the weekend, you would suggest there is an an opportunity for them there. I've said to you before, Arsenal are different this year. I know they were good last year. They pushed City to a certain extent. They fell away at the end, as we all know. But this year, yes, they haven't had spectacular results, but they've won games late. They've stayed in games and they've showed a different mentality in games. Seen them away from home at Everton uh, a couple of months ago, and they were poor. Everton dominated um, the game in... Chances wise, Arsenal dominated possession. They just couldn't find that key to the door. But this is a team that find a way, and this Arsenal side under Arteta now they find a way. And their the recent results—I mean, the, the 2 0 home win you at this weekend against Brighton—you expect them to win. But away from home, I mean, we all laugh and say, "Oh, they won the Luton Cup the other week at, at Luton." <laughs> but if, if, if you if you flip that to to a positive for Arsenal, you look at the drive, the resilience, the the, the backbone that that team have got. I think they're a different animal to what they were last year. I think Declan Rice has been absolutely superb for them. And for the Premier League as a whole, we we all talk about the Premier League. We love the Premier League. We have got the best product in the world, without a shadow of a doubt. And for the product, it's fantastic. We've now got a title race of three, possibly four teams. Manchester City hit a huge bump in the road at the moment. They're, They're in a place where they've never been before. And by the way, they're going to this World Club Championships. When they come back, they're going to be cut adrift further away than they have been for four or five years. So that's a different thing to talk about as well. But we have now got a huge title race. And the biggest game this weekend is Arsenal-Liverpool. But I just hope it doesn't disappoint like the Liverpool-Manchester United game. So often do we see fixtures, don't we? Liverpool-Man U, Arsenal-Man City. And you watch the game and it's, it's a letdown. Man United went to Anfield and did a job on them. I don't think Arsenal do that. I think they'll play their own game.
0: Wow, that's a really that's a really big prediction. I mean, Wayne, I want to come to you because I'm intrigued. I think one thing on social media, of course, that's been circling this fixture in particular, is of course on Arsenal's all or nothing series, where Arteta played the guys "You'll Never Walk Alone," and then they went and lost four 0 which of course was quite ironic given all the build up. I was going to say, and then we can ask ask Paul as well. Do you especially think actually-
1: the atmosphere on Sunday against Man United? I don't think there's anything to be concerned about, also, <laughs> it was there? Because there's the flattest. I can ever remember for a Liverpool Man United match, and but for the any fact
2: sport. that's been talked about this week, and this is the late game at the weekend. It's under lights, yeah. And the Anfield crowd are going to be hugely up for this, aren't yeah, they? they?
1: They have to be because because they were they were guilty of being complacent. I thought for the Man United game, just as Liverpool players were guilty of being complacent, and it's, it felt like that noise around the fixture and the build-up. Liverpool huge favourites, and the talk of repeating Savanell and Emory under so much pressure. Like, Ten Hag under so much pressure, really fed into the players' performance, because after minute two, Liverpool were rubbish and I don't care what the stats were over 34 goals that was a poor performance, Liverpool were not good at all, front three I thought were abysmal, um, Diaz and Nunes were very lucky to stand the pitch 78 minutes um, I think only about two Liverpool players, maybe Arnold and Van Dijk had decent games, um, but Liverpool have to be far, far better than that. Otherwise, there's no way they're in this title race and they can't be talked about as contenders. I think they're looking at how they performed in the against fellow big six clubs this season. It hasn't been great. They've all been draws, Lewis, I think, haven't they, or, or defeats. They lost to Tottenham. Liverpool need a statement victory. Otherwise, if the Liverpool don't win on Sunday, I don't see them as title contenders at all. I think it's between Arsenal and Man City if Liverpool don't win on Saturday, rather. I'm going on Saturday, by the way. I'm going to the want Oh, are you? Oh, excellent. You
2: get the day right. Don't turn up on Sunday. I know. I
1: know. That'd be a start, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, be, it, it uh, why is it so quiet? I'm not looking forward
0: to it. I think the I think the Man United game was a total snooze fest. I, I really was a very very boring game. But and fair mm-hmm. play to you know, and I think you've got to give credit to Manchester United. They turned up. They did a job that they knew what they were going to do. And I think they they played to their strength. They, they were there
1: for the taking though, Lewis. When they, they were was, no. So that, that, look at in goal. He was he looked awful. He looked a mistake waiting to happen. Paul, why did Liverpool not just put in swing corners on top of his head? Why why not? Why why did they persist with swing corners for? The whole
2: match. Um, that's a question I don't know. But I well, what would you, if
1: you're a goalkeeper, if you're him, and yeah. he's he was much worse on crosses, but much worse than crosses than you. By the way, you were a hundred times better. But why are they not putting crosses on his head?
2: That's putting, something uh, uh, players the scouting him. department look at, and it's something that I I question why not? Because yes, yeah. it is a weakness of his. Um, I was at the Burnley Everton game at the weekend. Sean Dyche identified a weak weakness in James Trafford, the Burnley goalkeeper. Every single set play. I mean, you you won't get extended highlights. On match the day, it wasn't that good. But I was there. I watched the whole game. I saw it. I watched the game as well. More goals than Anfield, that's for sure. Every single set play, the six-yard box was full and the ball was delivered under the bar. I mean, I've, I've looked at the stats. I did a comparison between the two goalkeepers of Alice and Onana before the game. I mean, Onana's come in... And the, the big thing for me is everybody looks back and says last season playing for Inter, Champions League final, et cetera. He had one season at Inter Milan. He played 24 games for Inter Milan. That's it. Before that, he was at Ajax for a long time, played over 100 games for Ajax. But we've seen that in the Eredivisie. Look at the players that come out of the Eredivisie. They struggle in the Premier League. Look at the ones that Manchester United have signed. And him, for me, he's not a better goalkeeper than David De Gea. He may think he's better with his feet, but because of it, he's better with his feet, they use him to the detriment of the team because it goes backwards sideways and slows it down. Looking at the clean sheets, OK, he's joint topping clean sheets in the Premier League with five. But me as a goalkeeper, I wouldn't judge myself on clean sheets because that's a team thing. You may get two or three that screen past you, you've got no chance. Goalkeeper's mm-hmm. not judged on, on, on clean sheets. Sweeper keeper, which is what he was brought in to do, is ranked 17th in the Premier League. He's had three interventions since he's come in. Saves, he's fifth on 57 saves. But both, all three of us have been making 57 saves playing for Man United the way they're playing. Um, jury's out on him, and he's not good enough to play for Manchester United the way that he's playing at the moment. And he's costing too many points. Look at the mistakes he's made in the Champions League at Bayern Munich, at Galatasaray. 15 conceded in six Champions League games.
0: I mean, that's that's that says it all, doesn't it? And the one thing, coming back to Wayne's point about Liverpool being title contenders, I mean, my thought immediately is as soon as Mo Salah goes to AFCON, Liverpool are in big trouble. And I think Liverpool are quite fortunate, actually, that this fixture isn't during that window. Because if it was, I do think that Arsenal would turn up and beat Liverpool. I really do. I'm not I'm not convinced by any means that Liverpool would win. But I think the Anfield crowd, they are the Copites. They're going to be up for it. It's going to be an excellent game. I just want goals. That's what I want. I want a cracking game. Do you
1: know, a no. big worry for me, Lewis, Um is the the other forwards outside of Salah. Mm. I'm very concerned about Luis Diaz. He's nowhere near the level he was before his injury that he, he sustained in that Arsenal match, which was more than a year ago now. I think that's 14 months ago. He hasn't got his pace back. He's not dribbling past players. I think he's very easy to defend to defend against he's very predictable. And he's not the flying super quick outlet that Liverpool had before that injury. Why, why has he not got back to that level? He's, you know, he's been back in the back plane for nine months now. Um, that would be a big, big concern for me. And if not, then I think they should sell him because if he can't beat players, he doesn't have the technical ability to combine the play. He doesn't have. He's not a great finisher. So what, what is he bringing for for a club of Liverpool's quality and prestige or team? He needs to be beating players. Otherwise, I don't see him as being an asset for Liverpool at all.
0: And you can never sell your favorite Darwin Nunez. He's got to be there for his lifetime contract, Wayne. That, He'll that, come that's good. It. He'll come good, Lewis. Yeah, no, I might, I might
1: be might be a long time away, but he will eventually
0: come good. That was absolutely excellent. So much gossip and exclusive news across a range of subjects today. Thanks very much to both Wayne Beasy and Paul Robinson for their expert analysis and detail on all the stories covering so many clubs, including Saturday's title clash predictions. If you have enjoyed this podcast episode, please give it a share on social media wherever you can, and. Any clip you see on YouTube, make sure to give us a like and a comment as well as subscribing to the channel. I'm Lewis Piers and we'll speak to you all on the next show here on the Inside Track.